Hey, good morning. Uh, if you're uh, new around here, my name is Stephen. I'm the pastor. Thank you so much for joining us. We're in the middle of a series in, entitled uh, How to Create a Counterculture. And what we've been doing in this series is building off of some truths that we established last October and, uh, and November through a series called Clear Truth for a Confused World. And what this series was is now how do we take those truths and practically play them out in the world that we live in. The first half of this series uh, is really more personal and familial. And so uh, step number one was to live a godly life. Step number two was to never stop learning. Step number three was to exercise great personal discipline. Step number four uh, kind of transitioned us into the familial realm. Uh, and step number four was to view marriage differently. And today we get to step number five, which is this, to focus on the family focus on the family. Next week, uh, Eric Metaxas, of course, will be here, uh, and that'll serve as kind of halftime uh, for our series. And then on the backside of that, the last five weeks, uh, we're going to get more corporate. This is how we then as a church uh, take what we're doing out into the community. Uh, and so there's been intentionality on the 10 weeks and the 10 steps uh, that we're doing. And next week, we'll kind of serve, uh, two weeks, excuse me, we'll kind of serve as like a relaunch of the series, uh, assuming there might be some new people here next week that would want to journey with us for those last five weeks. Today, we're going to look at those words, focus on the family, focus on the family. When uh, uh, last June, I turned 36 and uh, I was outside and I was jump roping like I do most warm mornings. And as I was out there kind of thinking uh, what I want this year to be like, uh, I had all of these ideas. And so I made this list of three things in my head. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to accomplish this. And then when I got done, as God so often does, kind of uh, impressed on my heart, some laughter and said, oh, that's a cute plan for the next year, Stephen. And, uh, and he, you know, he didn't like to say that out loud, but that's kind of what was going on as I, as I felt like I was praying. And, uh, and then I, I said, well, God, what do you want me to do next year, right? And uh, the reply seemed pretty instant and pretty clear. Focus on your family. This was weeks, uh, two weeks or three weeks or so before our third son, Shay, was born. And, uh, and, and I have to admit, this was my sinful response immediately when he said, focus on the family. I said, oh, God, you want me to take a year off? You want me to take a year off from, from building the kingdom? You want me to take a year off from chasing my goals? You want me to take a year off from uh, chasing, you know, my dreams? And it, it took me seven months or so, which is like, you know, this week, uh, to realize that what God was saying was, no, moron, I want you to focus on what is most important because everything else will come out of that. And so this morning, I want to talk about what it looks like for us to focus on the family. And it's in the realm of a series, How to Create a Counterculture, because the current culture is very antagonistic to the family. In fact, I would say that many of our systems and our structures, uh, down to tax policy and legislation, uh, from media and entertainment and technology uh, to elected officials and political parties, are very against the family. And so it is a countercultural thing for sure for us to stand up today and say, focus on the family, but not just focus on the family uh, in the sense that uh, there is some worldly idea of focus on the family, but even that sometimes gets twisted because focus on the family says uh, sometimes something like this. Yes, family is so important, uh, which it is. We'll get there in a second. Uh, and so I do focus on the family because I have a job, and that is to raise kids who are happy and successful and find themselves. Now, that is not a bad thing. We can talk about how that can actually be a mission drift. 
to what God really wants for you and your family. This idea of uh, culture being against the family uh, has worked its way out in everything. It's worked its way out in weak fathers or absent fathers. It's worked its way out on societal pressure on women. It's worked its way out through school indoctrination, social media, youth sports, media, uh, entertainment, and on and on and on. And Christians know what because the Bible teaches us what the importance and the essential nature of family a family as God has structured it, family as God has ordained it, family as a, a place where you experience joy and sanctification and where you partner together as a family for the growth of the kingdom of God. Now, I will submit this morning that it is obvious uh, that our families look a lot different, right, uh, than perhaps the picture of the stereotypical family. And now we know that God uh, has his structures and what is ideal, but we also know that we live in a fallen world. And so let me say this morning, I'm not condemning anyone for living outside the structure uh, that I will be talking about this morning, okay? But I am pointing to what it is that God has laid out. And our culture is very against what God has laid out. In fact, this last week, a, uh, an elected uh, congressional representative from the state of South Dakota uh, tweeted out how the uh, Family Heritage Center, which stands for biblical values in the family, is both dangerous and un-American. Dangerous and un-American. So I went to the uh, website of this, company, uh, of this organization that is apparently dangerous and un-American and read through, and it says, uh, we stand for God's truth in the family. Okay. That is what is considered dangerous and un-American, according to this congressional representative. Dangerous and un-American. Now, these ideas have taken deep, deep root. Most of us know where they come from, right? Uh, Karl Marx in his manifesto wrote how he wanted to destroy and upend the family. Why? Because he knew if he could destroy the family, then he could destroy society. And so this has now worked its way out, and it has infected everything. It's infected legislation, it's infected education, it's affected people's perspectives, uh, it's infected what we think is okay to say or to not say out loud. It's worked its way into legislation, okay? And this is not even to get into the monstrosity of how media and technology is also geared against the family. But we know something as Christians. If destroying the family is the best way to upend society, then restoring the family is the best way to reform society, Amen. okay? And so today, I want to talk about what it looks like to focus on the family, to focus on the family. And in this, we're going to look at four verses, and they're short verses, but they are powerful, and Paul is packing a punch in these four verses, and what Paul is doing is he is gleaning off of uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. He's gleaning off of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he's gleaning off of some of those famous proverbs uh, that many of us have heard in church as it relates to raising children. And he's taking all of that and he's packing all of that theology in four verses. And if you're here today and you go, well, I don't have kids. We're probably not going to have kids. Is this really for me? Yes. And here it is. One reason. One, help a brother out. And, and how you participate in society and culture does affect everyone else's children. And secondly, uh, also this, that whenever we talk about anything, we can always see the beauty, excuse me, the beauty of the gospel underneath it. And so even as we talk about parenting and children today, we're going to see something about how God loves and parents us. 
And so don't miss that. In Ephesians chapter six, Paul lays out some simple instructions on what it looks like to focus on the family. And here's the first thing that he does. I'm gonna give you three instructions this morning uh, that the apostle Paul gives uh, to, to the church. And here's the first one. Children, who is he talking to? The kids. He's talking to the kids. Why? Because Paul had an assumption that the kids would also sit under and hear the reading of his letter, which would later become scripture. But also get this, the Apostle Paul, who um, history has shown is one of the most brilliant men to ever walk the face of the earth, uh, was also going to communicate and write in such a way that the kids would understand, okay, that would also be deeply intellectual at the same time. But secondly, what was he doing? He was teaching us that kids are not incapable of learning. What's he doing here? He's, well, let's show. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, and then here's the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What Paul is saying here is not, uh, let me say it this way, the promise is not, uh, if you do everything perfectly, your kids are going to live to 100 or 110. What it is saying is that uh, as we raise kids in a biblical way, uh, that the, the promise is that they will experience the good life of life in Christ. It's not protection against anything bad ever happening. It doesn't negate other things that we know are reality, that we live in a sinful world. But it's saying that, uh, that it will root them in the goodness of the gospel, which we know is truly the best way for us to live, if you will do this. But what is the first thing that Paul is doing? The first thing that Paul is doing is this. He is setting high expectations for children as it relates to obedience and honor. And we are good in our culture uh, uh, in some regards of setting high expectations for our kids. But often, those high expectations are geared around what? Sports. <coughs> Excuse me. Sports, grades, SAT scores, college prep, whatever it might be. What is Paul teaching us? He's saying this. The first priority, parent, is to set a high expectation for obedience and honor. As Lindsay and I are deciding where to send our kids off to school, uh, one of the reasons we made the decision that we made to send our kids where we're sending them, which is, uh, it's called NOCA, Northwest Ohio Classical Academy. The reason we're doing that is because on the day that we were there for open house, uh, all the kids were in there talking like they do before school. The entire student body's in there, 500 kids. And the moment the headmaster walked into uh, into the room, it went deadly silent. 500 kids. He walked down to the front and said, good morning. And they all replied with, good morning, headmaster. And I looked at Lindsay and I said, yep, this is it. This is it. Why? Because there's obedience and there was honor of authority. And and, and if my kid is going to spend 16,000 hours between kindergarten and her or his senior year, they're going to be in a place that teaches obedience and honor. That sets high expectations for those two things as God would instruct them to do so. And so we, uh, uh, and, and so what we see in here uh, in this text is that Paul, he's setting the high expectations. He's telling parents, have I high expectations for your kids uh, of obedience and honor? Now, before in your mind you start going military and disciplinary, and let me get to the end of the text, okay? 
But that is step one. Now, what is Paul also doing here? He is gleaning off of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and those famous words that are, uh, it's a Jewish prayer known as the Shema. Let me read it to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know what that is? That is proper worship or proper theology, and all good education starts with proper doctrine and theology. Okay? All of it does. All good education starts with proper theology and proper doctrine. And so he's saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and his name is Yahweh. There isn't any other gods, right? We're not worshiping anything else. We are worshiping one God. And so he's saying, first... Okay, this is the the Jewish prayer. First, you individual or you parent, you need to have a proper understanding of who God is and you need to have proper doctrine and proper theology. And then outside of that, what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. You should then take that doctrine and that theology and you should apply it to every part of your life, your heart, your might and your soul. And so what Paul is saying here is first, parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, whoever it might be, you get yourself properly grounded in doctrine and theology, and then you learn how to apply it to every part of your life, and that is the step one. And then from that, it teaches you the proper expectation for your children in obedience and honor to fall under that. What's happening here? In this little line, Paul is contrasting deeply um, with, with this idea, and it is a modern idea, and it is this, well, uh, you know, what do you want for your kids? You know what? What I really want for my kids is this. I want them to be happy. I, I want them to, to be successful. I want them to find themselves and their identity. So, Stephen, are you saying you don't want those things for your kids? No, I absolutely do want those things for my kids, but I know my kids will most ultimately find that when they first find Christ. Okay, when they first root themselves in him. And so what this is teaching us is what is our ultimate aim and what is the ultimate purpose in our parenting? It is that we would raise kids who would say, hear, O Lord, or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And that we would raise kids who would love that Lord with all their heart, might, and soul. That they would have good doctrine and then they would know how to apply that doctrine to every part of life. That is our ultimate aim as parents. Now, when we say, when we say, and, uh, and, and sometimes, we, because how does this play out? If, if our ultimate aim for our kids is that they would be happy, well, then often anything goes. If our ultimate aim for our kid is that they would be successful, then we will align our time and our budget and our priorities based on getting them to be successful in the world's eyes. If we say my ultimate aim is for them to find themselves and, uh, and find their identity, right, then, then what we'll do is we'll throw out standards of Scripture and replace them with the modern lies and deception because we think it's going to help them find themselves. And by the way, the results are in. It's not working. It's not working. Now, as messed up as the CDC is, Amen. Okay, as messed up as the CDC is, they released something uh, the other day that said it was either 60 or 80, and I know I should have fact-checked myself, but it was either 60 or 80% of um, 14 to 17-year-old girls uh, on a survey checked that they were um, uh, living in a constant state of helplessness or despair. When we set up a structure and a culture... When we align our entertainment, our media, and our education systems to teach kids that their greatest aim is to be happy, successful, and to find themselves, those are the results that you get. 
And this system is broken. But we have a better system in the scriptures. And it is our job to look out and to say, let's use the better playbook. Parents, don't parent out of Marx's communist manifesto. Parent out of the word of God. Okay? Now, Paul first, he sets up. He says, let's, let's uh, individual or parent first, get your proper doctrine, and then live it out, right? Uh, and then teach that to your kids so that they can live it out, right? Um, and, then, uh, and then he says, Here, now here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Jumping down to verse four. Fathers. Now here, obviously beforehand, Paul was talking to the children, and uh, he was talking to the children, but he was talking so that the, you know, both parents or whatever, uh, whoever was parenting or raising those kids would hear. But now he's going to get a little bit more targeted. He's going to go, fathers. And here's why he's going to say fathers. He's going to say fathers because it was the obvious assumption of um, who he would be talking to because it was unequivocally understood in that culture that fathers were responsible for the education of their children, that it was their job as fathers. And so when he says fathers, it would be like this morning, me saying 1045 service. Like it, it wouldn't make sense for me to say anything else. And so he's saying fathers because it was obvious that that's who he should have been talking to. And so he says fathers, fathers. And by the way, um, Christians for 2,000 or so years, I'm going to say this now and then I'm going to repeat it again in a couple of weeks when I preach on education. Okay, and I am going to preach on education in a couple of weeks because that's how important this is. And by the way, when I preach on education in a couple of weeks and when I comment on education right now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that educators are evil, unless they are, <laughs> okay? Um, uh, and I'm not saying that, um, uh, that every system, every part of it, all of this needs to be like, you know, blown up like, like Sodom and Gomorrah. But I am saying that we need to be wise and awake, okay? That's what I am saying. Now, when he says the fathers, here's what he's saying. Uh, actually, no, this is what I want to say. And, uh, and again, I will repeat this in a couple of weeks. Until 60 to 70 years ago, Christians, Christian parents, and Christian churches knew that education, and therefore Christian education, the formation of our children, was their responsibility or our responsibility. It is only in the last 60 to 70 years that we have abdicated education to the state. Look where it has gotten us. If you are wondering why, by the way, that we're starting a college, this is reason enough. If you are wondering why we are being strong in our language, this is why. We will not abdicate to the Marxist state and Marxist institutions our most precious gift and our most important mandate. We will educate our children in the way of the Lord from the nursery to revere. We will not abdicate. We will educate. Okay? This is the job of the church. It has been for 1950 years. And through legislation and through uh, confusion and through other things that have worked its way out 50, 60, 70 years ago, he said, it's not that big of a deal. Let the state educate. Well, here we are. Here we are. Time to take it back. Yes. Time to take it back. And where do we take it back? At home first. At home first. That's why we focus on the family. That's why we focus on the family. Now, in his instruction, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, first fathers, okay, dads, all right? And listen, obviously the assumption here is mom or grandma or whoever else is raising uh, the, the, the child. But he's saying this first, do not provoke your children to anger. Okay. Now, this 
I think this line might confuse us a little bit. Here's what uh, Paul, the point that Paul is getting across. It is this. Uh, fathers, don't take the wind out of your kids' sails. Don't let fear or negativity or your bitterness or anger over what life has brought you destroy that childlike ma- imagination or faith. Don't let legalism rule in your house so much that your kids live in constant fear. His first instruction is this. He's saying, don't take the wind out of their sails, dad. Instead, do what? He says, bring them up. He turns it immediately. He says, don't do that. Don't destroy them. Instead, As my man Josh Groban sings, you raise me up. I can hit that high note. I don't even know if that is a high note. I don't know anything about notes. He says, Dad, guardian, it's a kid, and you got a chance to bring him up, to raise him up. Let them stand right on your shoulders. Let them go farther uh, or further than you ever could. Uh, raise them up and bring them up. And Paul's like, and I'll tell you how to do it. I'll tell you how to do it. But it starts with what not to do. Don't destroy them. Don't act out of anger. Don't do those things I've already mentioned. Instead, he says, raise them up. And he says, now, some of you, for a second, you might be like, okay, hold on. You were just ranting against culture, <laughs> right? And now you're saying, um, you know, raise them up, bring them up, lift them up, all of that kind of stuff. Like, Stephen, that sounds like all of that, like, you know, stuff from the demonic channel. I mean, the Disney channel. That about, um, <laughs> come on, you know that's true, right? Um, about, like, follow your heart and, 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 and all of that kind of stuff. And that's, listen, that's not what I'm saying. Because how we do that is different, how we do it matters. How do we raise our kids up? It's not by letting them do whatever they want. It's not, like, it's not by making happiness the standard. It's not by saying success in this world is all that matters. No. <coughs> Excuse me. How do we do it? You bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's how. No. I don't want to weaken these words, but I do want to explain these words. Discipline and instruction. Let me give you two different words. Training and guidance. Training and guidance. Because I think when we see discipline, we go, right? Whack. And yeah, there's time for that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying there's not. Okay? But what he's talking about predominantly is, is, is structure or training and guidance. Let me give you a definition for this word discipline uh, that we see here. And is this. Discipline is the full training and development of morals and understanding for that which is good for the heart, mind, and soul. That's what he means by discipline. And where does that start? Proper theology. Properly understanding who God is and how he's created that child. How he's created you. And that's where it all begins, uh, right there. But it's the fullness of the character. It's the fullness of the person. Uh, It's the fullness of who God is crafting uh, him or her to be. That is good for the heart, mind, and soul. Now, this ties us back to the promise. What was the promise? It'll go well for you. How will it go well for them? When you train them up and when you guide them into that which is best for them. What's first? Set a high expectation for obedience and honor. Set a high expectation for obedience and honor. Uh, Don't destroy them, but instead raise them up, lift them up, and do so 
through training and instruction. Now, what does training and instruction look like? Well, the scriptures give us um, lots of evidence for what this looks like in, in, in many different facets, but I'm going to give you a lot of S words here, okay? Uh, so either you can memorize them or uh, so you can take some notes. But here are some S words. Every training system, right, is first, it is a system. There are systems, okay? There are structures and there are standards in every training And so if you want to properly train, what it is, is it's identifying as a parent what systems and structures and standards do we need to employ to get to our intended aim, which is that that kid would be properly rooted in Christ and love Christ with all of his heart, might, and soul. That's the aim, to get them to there. Now, what are the systems, structures, and standards that we need to employ to help them get there? And I will say this, maybe you go, uh, well, I don't know if we really have a system right now. No, you have one either by default or design. You have one either by default or design. And part of this system, I'll talk about a couple of things that should be part of the system or, uh, or, or, or even the standards. You say, well, we don't really have standards. Well, no, you do. The standard is apparently however you're feeling in the moment. Like there is standard, there is system, and there is structure either by default or design. And I think what this is doing is it's making us sit back and go, okay, this is my important thing. Stephen says, God's speaking to me uh, right, uh, right there on my birthday. Focus on your family. Dude, you've got systems and structures for everything in your life. Do you have it for your kids? I've got Excel documents for what I want to do in 2044. Do I have a plan to do everything I can? to make sure that my kids have good theology and a loving relationship with Christ that lasts them their whole life. Focus on the family, man. Do your most important job first. That's what Paul's getting at. Now, as you think about your systems and your structures and your standards, it should include a lot of different things. And so let me give you some more S words. It should include some Sunday worship and being committed to it. And gathering with the body. It should include scripture. That one's directly in Deuteronomy chapter 6 where he says, write the words of God everywhere. He's like, write them on your doorpost. It's like, uh, it's this beautiful passage. It's like, hey, are you driving? Okay, talk about the Bible. Are you walking? Talk about the scripture. Are you waking up? Talk about the, are you going to bed? Talk about the scriptures. And uh, there are little tools that we have provided as a church. One of them is a fact pack, uh, which is 576 questions. This is something that Lindsay and I both grew up on, uh, right? And so you can grab one of those if you don't have one on your way out today. Uh, this is why we do little catechism for our fifth and sixth graders, okay, bringing them to 52 important questions of the faith. This is why I have my little catechism with Reagan, uh, even before she's, uh, you know, mature enough to do the, the Bible fact pack. I'm going to post that on my Facebook, by the way, later, the little catechism that I do with Reagan. Um, and by the way, it's not all theological, so. I'll point it all out there. Some of you are like, is this biblical? Well, it's, it's, you know, it's all biblical, okay? But it's not all just theological in the little catechism that goes. So you'll see that. So I'm going to post, we'll post all of those things. But what is it doing? It is creating these systems and structures to, to get scripture into as much of life as we can. I said, I said often, Joshua 1.8 uh, is our key verse for the year. And, uh, and after I did that, uh, this is how Lindsay and I's partnership, I say something out loud, and then Lindsay go makes it pretty. And so she uh, made this like, beautiful printout of Joshua 1.8 that's hanging on our wall. Bring scripture into everything, he's saying. That should be part of your system and your structures and your standards. What else? Well, Sunday worship, scriptures, Sabbath. 
And I'm going to preach on Sabbath in a couple of weeks, but let me just give you like a quick snapshot. Sabbath is like taking a vacation every week. Doesn't that sound awesome? If your picture of Sabbath is miserable, your understanding of Sabbath is equally as miserable. Sabbath is like taking a vacation every week. And uh, I've shared with, us, uh, with you guys how Lindsay and I, uh, we walk every Friday and all of that kind of stuff, but we've been like, like, like learning more about how to properly Sabbath for 24 hours, and it's beautiful, and I can't wait to share with you guys all more. But what it is, it's just a, a 24-hour period every day where you're like, we're going to stop working, uh, we're going to stop worrying about money, we're going to stop doing those things, and we're just going to like even more intensely focus on the family, and we're going to have a 24-hour vacation. And it's probably a staycation because you can't get that far in 24 hours. But it was so fun this last week when, when Reagan, I picked her up and she said, Daddy, it's Sabbath day, isn't it? I said, yeah, baby girl, it is. And she said, Sabbath starts at Dale's, right? I said, amen. Let's go get some pancakes. Another one is this. Story. Story. Parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, friend, whoever it might be, do not deprive children of the glory and the power of you sharing story. Share the story of how you two met. Share the story of how God has been faithful. Uh, when Fred was reading that text, uh, and he was talking about the power of sharing the story. Imagine 200 years uh, after the Israelites uh, had entered into, had left Egypt and, and begun to enter into the promised land. If one of the little kids runs up and says, Daddy, Daddy, how, how did we end up here? And he goes, I don't know. There was a river and God sneezed and who knows. I said, What? You're missing it. You're missing the opportunity there to share the story of God's faithfulness. Friend, you've seen God be faithful to you. You've seen him and how he's worked and how he's moved and what he's done and, uh, and all of that. And there's power in you sharing that story with your kids. And so share the stories. And here's the last thing it's got to include. Silliness. Silliness. This is so much fun. I walked in the other day to the house and I walked into the house and Reagan said, Daddy, what's wrong? And I said, nothing, baby girl. And he said, I said, why? And she said, well, you normally walk in the house fun. <laughs> and I said, I'll try again. So I went back out and I walked back in how I normally walk in. Make home the place your kids most want to be. Because it's fun. Because it's fun. And so bring that into it. And all of these things then are, are, are part of that word training. Don't, don't we see here how we can so easily misunderstand the scriptures if we don't look into it? Discipline is not just whip the kid if they do something wrong. Okay? This is what Paul means. And then he takes it a step further and he says, okay, you can't just tell them what, then also teach them why. That's what he's doing next. He says, discipline and instruction or training and guidance. If, the, uh, if discipline is the what, then instruction is the why. Discipline is the what, then instruction is the why. If discipline says, in our house, we go to church, instruction says, because it reminds us of God's love and it surrounds us with like-minded people and it brings us together as a family and it equips us to follow God. If discipline says, clean your room. Instruction says, because when you order the inside of, or the outside of your life, it helps you order the inside of your life. Because when you're faithful with a little, then God will give you more. When it comes to this part of instruction, I got a little acronym for you, maybe it'll help it. We all need to ace it. We need to ace it, and here's what I mean by ace it. Advise, coach, and encourage. 
And I know that this changes throughout their life. As your kid gets older, uh, it changes. As they're younger, advise is like advise, but really command, right? But advise, coach, and encourage. And by the way, it takes all three. And it is our responsibility to do all three, to not just say, well, I made some standards. Well, did you teach them how to live up to them? August, brush your teeth. August is my two-year-old. I can advise him to brush his teeth, but then I have to coach him and say, no, don't just lick off the toothpaste. <laughs> that's where we're at. Toothbrushing happens in like three seconds. We're done. Okay? They finally figured out how to make decent-tasting to- uh, decent toothpaste. I know, because I've tried. No. <laughs> I've got to coach him. No, no, nobody. This is how you. <laughs> this is how you do it. Let me say this, too. We got to practice when our kids are young, too, by the way, parents. Because if we want to advise and coach and encourage them when they're brushing their teeth, will we advise and coach and encourage them when they're asking questions about sex? Will we advise and coach and encourage them, and will they look at us as the advisor, coacher, and encourager when they're feeling depressed? When they're running off to college? When they're deciding if they should marry him or her? So set a pattern. Oh, no, no, I'm going to mom. I'm going to dad. They, they will advise and coach and encourage me. They've, they've had a pattern of it. And maybe you go, but I don't know how to give advice, coaching, and encouraging all a step of the ways. Well, one, you can probably encourage all of your step of the way. But those first two, this is why we learn from each other. This is why multi-generational relationships are so important. And this is why when we mess up, we just repent. We say we're sorry, and we get better. But advise, coach, and encourage along the way. And isn't that who you want to be for your kid? Don't you want to be the one that says, no, mom, dad, I don't, I don't know what to do here. Hey, this is what I should do. I think this is how you could do it. Uh, and then I'm going to step alongside and I'm going to encourage you all the way. And everything that I'm going to advise, coach, and encourage you to do in every system and structure and standard that I have set up is to make it so that at the end of this, you're going to stand up and you're going to say, I love the Lord, my God, with all my heart, might, and soul. Because that's our purpose. So what do we do today? Where do we start today, all of us, regardless if we got little kids in the home or not? Because we can all play a part in this, whether it's volunteering in kids' ministry, it's just helping somebody out, it's just uh, being that aunt, that uncle, or that cool dude that comes over every once in a while. All of us can play a part in this. Where do we start? Well, first, we do have to remember the call and the most important call, and that is what is our aim at the end, that they would, that our kids would stand next to us in worship. Secondly, what do we need to do? We can repent if we haven't done it well. Unfortunately, we already read Philippians 2, so we know the essential nature of humility. And humility, I've taught this before, humility precipitates movement. Humility precipitates movement. And so if you want to see a movement right now in your kids, it might start with you humbling yourself. Okay? And so maybe it is sitting down, and however old the kid is, it might look like something like, hey, you know what? I didn't do that great, and I'm sorry. But I want to do better from here on out. And here's how we're going to do it. Number three, we have to remember God's incredible grace. We've got to remember God's incredible grace. We have to remember it in different fashions. We've got to remember it for ourselves. We've got to uh, remember it where maybe we haven't done it right and, uh, and, and we do need to seek forgiveness, but then God comes in and, and he forgives us. We've got to remember God's incredible grace as it relates to each other. 
I don't know if this is a, this is a hyperbolic statement, but can we be like the first church ever where, um, where, where, where we don't judge each other based on each other's parenting? Instead, we just love each other. And I'm not saying that we don't challenge and hold each other accountable, uh, but, but, but we shower grace upon each other. That, um, uh, that we are a safe place. I know that term is crazy right now, but we are a place where people can show up and, uh, and when their kid is in a rough season, uh, that instead of playing a, a role in destroying the kid even more, we help lift up. Or, or we cannot gossip about kids. They're kids. Right? We're the parents. Let's stop. And instead we can challenge and encourage, but also we can shower grace upon each other's kids because... That's someone's kid. That's someone's kid. Let's help them. Let's be a place that does. Then we got to shower grace on each other because um, we might be in a tough season where we're looking at adult kids and we're going, man, I don't know, I don't know, and, uh, and they're, they're away right now. And, uh, and again, instead of condemning or anything, we just say, yeah, let's pray for them and let's believe that God's grace is going to go win that kid back. Let's pray, and I've done this with some of you. I've prayed, and it's, it's one of my favorite prayers to pray for the day when that kid is standing next to you right here in worship, and we show grace for each other in that. That's what we can do starting today. And I think that would be focusing on the family, and it is incredibly countercultural, and because it is, it will be hard. So seek God's grace and his Holy Spirit to help you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, and friend a part of this process. For every volunteer in our kids' ministry playing a role. For all of us collectively, that this would be a place where children thrive. In Jesus' name we ask it. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connectcard. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash giveonline. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.